0: Welcome to the Microgreens Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Krokmaldin. Together, we'll explore the art of turning tiny seeds into a thriving Microgreens empire, sharing insights, coveted secrets, and strategic wisdom from building one of Canada's largest Microgreens farms. Stay tuned for thought-provoking conversations with leading figures in the world of Microgreens. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about sustainability in microgreens, businesses, and production. We're going to assess different options for clamshells, soils, and electricity usage. There's a lot of greenwashing in the industry, and I want to do my best to give you guys factual information to make informed decisions. The best way to make positive change is to have that accurate information so that you can decide for yourself what path you'd like to take for your business. This episode is like Mythbusters for sustainable farming, so I'm excited to share this with you all. So let's get right into it. A lot of farmers, business owners, and consumers are concerned with their environmental footprint, with the choices they make as business owners or consumers. And rightfully so. Business owners get to choose the inputs that produce the products they sell, and consumers get to choose which products to purchase from those businesses. So both are very important in determining our total environmental impact. We're going to go through a few important options that my growers, and business owners can choose from to reduce or mitigate their environmental impact. This is a big one and a lot of different options on this one are out there. As of right now, unfortunately, I don't think there's a perfect solution for this problem, but we'll go through a few options. First is the most common choice, which is PET plastic clamshells. PET is the type of plastic that's used in production of these clamshells and they're often made of virgin plastic derived from petroleum. So PET clear plastic, which is what's used in clamshells, is a very commonly recycled material. A lot of people may not be aware, but a high percentage of what consumers put in recycling bins actually ends up in landfills and is not recycled. As an example, if you have a ketchup bottle you put in the recycling bin, but it has residue of ketchup in the bottle, it's just gonna be sorted at the recycling center and end up in a landfill. It's not gonna be washed and recycled. Uh, It's just not time efficient enough for recycling companies to clean out each plastic bottle they find. Now, for microgreens clamshells, they should be fairly clean going into the recycling bin as there's no liquid in them uh, except for maybe a little bit of water. So the odds are they should be recycled easily in most municipalities that have recycling programs. So a big pro is the cost. They're actually the lowest cost option of the three options we're going to discuss today. Uh, A big con is they are petroleum-derived, so they're not biodegradable, and eventually the plastic will end up in a landfill or be burned for energy. So a lot of manufacturers of these plastic clamshells uh, are now at least partially using recycled or or pre-recycled plastics so that at least some of the material is already been used, meaning that less virgin plastic needs to be produced to use those clamshells. If you are gonna go this route of plastic clamshells, definitely try to find pre-recycled clamshells to minimize your impact. One company I know of that uh, uses pre-recycled material is Playcon. A lot of the clamshells from Playcon already have pre-recycled materials in them. So they usually use uh, recycled plastic water bottles. So it's a great way to kind of minimize your impact, but still use a cost-effective option. Next, we have corn-based PLA plastic clamshells. These are really starting to take off in industry as they seem to be a much more environmentally friendly alternative due to their compostability and recyclability. So while I do agree that they're potentially a good option, it really depends on the area you live in and how you determine your environmental impact. For example, PLA plastic Uh, cannot be recycled or composted in a traditional recycling or composting facility. So they literally will still take 100 to 1,000 years to biodegrade in a landfill and won't properly compost without special equipment. So while yes, in theory, they may be a better option, it appears that a lot of municipalities have not adopted these programs. And if these recycling or composting programs haven't been adopted, then these PLA corn-based clamshells will end up in a landfill. And might actually have a lower chance of being recycled because of the complexities in the recycling of that material. The other main environmental issue with PLA corn plastic is that the vast majority of it is made with GMO corn. Now, I'm not like super against GMO in and of itself, because I think there may be certain applications where it can help humanity in the environment. But the current GMO corn uh, is modified to allow allow mass spraying of herbicides and pesticides to ensure the highest corn yields which in this case would mean the highest yield of corn-based plastic, which I'm totally not on board with. So there is a big environmental impact of producing GMO corn, not necessarily in carbon emissions, but most definitely in land and water habitat destruction and microbial soil degradation. Something to keep in mind when using corn-based plastic is that you are contributing to that soil and habitat destruction due to the nature of how that corn is being grown. As far as I know, I have not heard of a plastics company that can provide an organic PLA corn-based plastic. But if that becomes a thing, then I think I would change my mind on this topic and lean towards this type of uh, plastic clamshell instead of the recycled petroleum-based plastic. A few other issues with the corn-based plastic is the cost, which is a bit higher than PET plastic clamshells and the land use to produce that plastic. So if we switch out all of our plastic production to corn-based plastic, we would take up a pretty significant part of the current agricultural land to grow plastic instead of growing food. And I think this will eventually be solved with technology, but it is an issue in the long run. So on the flip side, I see a pretty strong consensus in my research that corn-based plastic produces about 25% less carbon emissions in the life cycle of that plastic, Than petroleum-based plastic so there is some uh like hands down benefits to this type of material it's just the way it's currently recycled or composted uh and the fact that gmo corn is used that's destroying uh very valuable land we have i tend to see this as more greenwashing than as actual fact that this is better for the environment than petroleum-based plastic not that petroleum-based plastic is good because i don't think it is But out of the two, which one do I think has less of an environmental impact? I would say the petroleum-based plastic. Lastly, out of the three options, we have reusable containers. So this one is really close to my heart because I really wanted to implement a system like this at Living Earth Farm because on paper, it just makes a whole lot of sense. You can potentially reuse these plastic or glass containers many, many times before having to recycle them or dispose of them. So it would be... More economical as it would be a one time purchase instead of constantly purchasing a ton of plastic clamshells each week. And it is actually a truly sustainable way of reducing impact and inputs you need to package your products. Now, the downsides of reusable containers are mostly logistics based and cost based. So, the initial cost of these uh, containers can be really high. And to implement a system like this can be really expensive as well. So, you would need to recover the reusable containers from customers properly wash and disinfect them before reuse. At a small scale, this is quite easy. You can throw them in a dishwasher, run a few cycles a week, and boom, you got a great solution. But when you grow a business, these type of activities will need to scale with the business. So if you're selling 5,000 reusable containers or clamshells a week, you'll need some serious commercial equipment to efficiently wash all those containers because they would take a long time to wash that in a standard dishwasher. And if you sell to wholesalers, retail stores or restaurants, it will be very hard to recover a lot of these containers. Selling direct to consumer, this can 100% definitely work. But when there's third parties like retail stores responsible for getting the containers back from customers, it can really be a logistical nightmare. Uh, There are some half solutions to this would be to have like a large deposit on the when someone buys a clamshell of microgreens. Uh, and have it be more than the cost of the container so that it really incentivizes customers to bring them back. But you would have to convince your customers to agree to this, uh, which can be difficult because, you know, if you have like an extra dollar they're paying at the store um, to have this reusable container, not everyone's going to be on board with that, even if they would get it back when they return it. So overall, I think there is a lot of potential here with this type of solution, but the logistics and equipment needed make it time and cost prohibitive to most businesses to implement. Um, lastly, to end this topic on a positive note, cause obviously I haven't given you guys like a perfect solution here, um, because I don't think there is right now, but I personally think that the solution to this major issue for our planet would be technology. So I've seen some early prototypes of mushroom based plastic, which is really durable and completely biodegradable. And it actually looks really cool. Um, It'll take some time to get this cost low enough so that is actually a viable option, but I'm quite optimistic on this technology that it'll help us solve this problem and I really hope that mushroom plastics become commercially viable soon because I think it is a much better option. The next big issue or uh, environmental concern we're going to talk about is soil. So there is a ton of options out there for soil mediums to use for growing microgreens. From peat-based mediums like Promix to coconut coir to compost-based mediums to fiber-based mediums like hemp mats or rock wool to even reusable growing mediums like these silicone-based mats I've seen recently. So on paper, the most sustainable would be nothing, right? So just using seed and liquid fertilizers. Unfortunately, this doesn't really work well for microgreens. Um, for anyone that's that's tried that, they'll, they'll know that uh, you really do need a growing medium to have some sort of success with microgreens. Next would be mats like hemp fiber, as these are very low carbon emitting mediums. Uh, you can produce like a ridiculous amount of hemp mats from just a few hemp plants. So it's it's very sustainable from an environmental perspective. Uh, next would be coconut coir and compost based mediums. These would be the next best options for sustainability. Um, and then coming in last would be peat based mediums. And this may surprise people because I recommend using peat based mediums peat-based mediums, but I think once you understand the growing side of it, you understand kind of why um, I made this decision from an environmental and business perspective. So I recommend using Promix, as I said, and the reason is that you can get the highest quality product using these peat-based mediums, and if you just think about it logically, if you can get twice the yield using a Promix medium than a hemp mat, then it really starts eating away at the business model. If you solely focus on your environmental impact rather than finding a combination of environmental impact, quality and yield of the product you're producing. So when I started my farm, I was fully idealistic and wanted everything to be as sustainable as possible. Uh, But I really I I very quickly learned to realize how important the balance between making a viable business and providing sustainable solutions to these really big problems. So with peat moss, the main issue is that it takes about 500 to 1000 years to regrow a peat bog. So while that it technically is renewable because it will regenerate on that time frame, uh you know, it doesn't really seem sustainable because as humans we live, I don't know, let's say 80 to 100 years, well at, at the pace of use versus regrowth, we'll eventually run out of peat moss if we consume it faster than we can regenerate it. So it's an amazing soil medium, but it's definitely not the most sustainable in terms of harvesting bogs and regeneration. So um Again, when it comes down to how much yield you get versus the growing medium uh, you're using and the sustainability of it, if let's say it takes you like, just hypothetically, it takes you five times as much hemp mats to produce as much product, um, you're using more electricity, you're using more seed, you're using more uh, space. and you got to heat that space. So these are all resources that you have to use that have an environmental impact. So soil is one of them, but you really have to take a holistic view of if I'm using ProMix and I'm getting twice the yield of these other mediums, uh, then, you know, what is the total environmental impact? And that's where I think you get a much clearer picture of uh, each individual component making the system and how that affects the sustainability uh, of your product that you're selling. So. Next would be coconut coir, and this is a great middle ground for growers who want to have something that is more sustainable than peat moss, but still have a good growing medium. So coconut coir holds uh, water and air quite well, so it can be an amazing growing medium for microgreens. The main issue with coconut coir is the salt content. So almost all coir comes in compressed bricks and is generally washed in like a brackish or salt water, causing it to have really high salt content. So some growers use more premium coir products that come in loose bags uh, that have lower salt content, but the price is often two or three times the price of ProMix. So it becomes quite difficult from a cost perspective. Also, the quar bricks have to be soaked with water and broken up, which can be a very time consuming process compared to using a ProMix product, which like will literally just crumble in your hands when you break up one of the compressed bales. Also with coconut coir, there really isn't commercially available equipment to break up these coconut coir bricks. So it would be difficult soil to use the scale from a cost and efficiency perspective. Next, we have hemp mats or other fiber-based mats. So these have a pretty minimal environmental impact. I would imagine that one single hemp plant can produce like a dozen or so growing mats. So it's really environmentally friendly. The main downside is that they simply just don't grow a high-quality product compared to a Promix or even a coconut coir. So while it is environmentally friendly, it just doesn't work well for commercial production. And then, like I said earlier, if you're using more electricity because you have to grow twice as much product, more uh, seed, more fertilizer, the extra costs and inefficiencies outweigh the benefit from an environmental perspective. So for those that are growing just as a hobby, this can be a great solution if you're not kind of looking for the highest yield possible. And they're fairly easy to use. They're clean and commonly available. Um, So the last issue is they're quite cost prohibitive for commercial production. So I'm doing some tests in my uh, grow space here in my home, and uh, they ended up costing about $3 per mat. Uh, compared to roughly 90 cents for a tray of ProMix, And those are both retail prices. So of course, if you're growing commercially, you can buy them in bulk and get them lower, but still relatively speaking, they're a lot more expensive than soil. So the last soil we're gonna talk about is compost or topsoil-based mediums. So these like hem mats are really sustainable. They're almost carbon neutral, except for like the machines that are needed to turn the compost and deliver it that use fossil fuels. Uh, but this really varies from compost to compost, as there are some companies making fantastic compost and topsoil products, but there are a lot of really, really bad compost and topsoils and worm castings and all that stuff. So um, it's so variable that it's hard to even recommend it as a growing medium because it it's so different in every single region, municipality, state, country. Uh, it varies dramatically from one compost to the next. But overall, I don't think these are really well suited for microgreens. I started with compost and topsoils when I started growing microgreens 10 years ago and ran into a ton of disease issues, drainage issues, product quality issues, and really bad consistency from batch to batch. So uh, it's really not something I'd recommend for microgreens, even though it is cost effective. It is a really low cost option. But again, like the hemp mats, if you're creating a low quality microgreen product with low yields, It will be a lot harder to run a profitable business this way, and there will be the secondary impacts like having more electricity usage, uh, more seed that's needed, more electricity to grow the same amount of product. So as you can see with soil, there are also a lot of trade offs, as with most decisions in business and life. Uh, But I hope that this provides some clarity in making your soil decisions and helps in that decision process. So lastly, we're going to touch on electricity usage and ways to manage your environmental impact of this. So most places in the world, with few exceptions, do use fossil fuels to produce electricity. There are some states that are much cleaner and run on hydro or nuclear power, more so than fossil fuels, like Washington State in the US and some provinces in Canada, like BC and Quebec, are almost fully on sustainable hydroelectric electricity. Uh, So over the years of farming, many people have asked if it makes sense to use solar power tied to your microgreens farm to reduce electricity costs and to reduce emissions. So the simple answer is yes, it will provide these two benefits, but at what cost? So generally installing solar is quite expensive and takes 10 plus years to pay off. So I generally consider it more so as an investment vehicle in clean tech rather than a solution that makes sense for growers or small farms. So if it costs, let's say 15 to $25,000 to install solar, or you could use that money in other ways to grow the business faster, it would most likely make sense to grow the business using that money other ways. Otherwise, if you put that money into that solar, you have less capital available and it may delay the growing of your business. What I think is a better solution instead of investing directly in solar would be to pay a company that does this investment in green tech energy and ensures the amount of electricity you pull from the grid actually comes from sustainable sources like solar, wind, and hydro. So in Canada, there's a company called Bullfrog Power that you can work with to pay a small monthly fee to ensure all the electricity you're using is from a carbon emission-free source. So it could be as low as 40 to $50 a month, uh, which is much cheaper than making payments of $500 plus per month on a solar system. So I think this is more accessible to most growers and farms and is actually a practical solution to reducing your business's carbon emissions. It's also a great marketing opportunity for your customer base to show your commitment to preserving uh, the environment and to uh, reducing your carbon footprint. So I think this is much more accessible and a much better option for farms that want to um, do that. Now, if you do have the capital, solar is a great option, but it depends on the, the air you are. In the Northern hemisphere, it is the least sunny time of year for most climates. So you're likely not gonna be able to pull enough electricity as you scale your farm to have it all come from solar during the winter months. So there's also that kind of perspective where you're not going to be able to, um, unless you live in a more Southern climate, to get consistent energy production from the solar. Um, but if you have the capital, it's a great investment in and of itself. I just don't think it's good to kind of tie it directly into your business. And it's much better to think of it as an investment vehicle uh, and, and and calculate what the return is compared to putting the money elsewhere in an investment um, I think that's a much better way to look at it. So I hope this information helps you make informed, educated decisions for your business, or if you grow microgreens as a hobby grower, just to help you make better decisions for your environmental impact. If anyone is interested in taking your microgreens game to the next level, I have a full business in a box course created with the team at Freedom Farmers that teaches you step-by-step Everything you need to start your own farm in just six square feet of your home it includes a fully designed and ready-to-use website, a full suite of software by Vertigo that helps manage the daily tasks of growing and selling microgreens, along with the course itself, which will teach you not only how to grow the best quality microgreens but actually successfully sell microgreens on autopilot. And if you're interested in watching a free webinar on this course go to jonah.freedomfarmers.com and you can watch that at your convenience. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Microns Mastery Podcast. To access a wealth of insights, just click the subscribe button, stay notified about each new episode and enjoy all of this wisdom for free. If you're ready to supercharge your Micrenees business, visit micreneesconsulting.com for a gold mine of guides and resources. We've transformed thousands of Micrenees businesses and you're invited to join the success story. Let's stay connected. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok at Micrenees Consulting for exclusive content and expert tips and wisdom. If you found this episode insightful, please leave us a review, spread the word, and let's share Micrenees magic with the world. Until next time, let curiosity fuel your growth and may happiness be your harvest. Happy growing, everyone.